Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday y'all. An sultry one out there it is. All right we got a little sprinkles at my house yesterday and I noticed that there was a, a significantly large patch of rain that kind of straddled I-55 between where I live in Ridgeland and then the northern part of the county up in Canton. They got a little rain, but it dissipated as it traveled south, and all we got is little sprinkles. How about at your place? It completely missed me, but uh, it wasn't for... I got a I got a time-sensitive weather alert <laughs> on my phone with the potential for severe thunderstorms and possible hail at like yeah. 630, 635, something like that. Well, that's that's when the, the alarm went off, <laughs> supposedly. I didn't see it, and I've, I was checking my phone during that time for like another hour, and I'm looking around going, well, they lied. I didn't see a single drop of rain. <laughs> you know, but you, you have to admit... A bit of euphoria set in, right, when you at least saw the, the notification. Normally, that's not something to get excited about, but uh, given the drought that we have experienced, had to get a little excited about that? Sure. But, uh, and we have a, at least a chance, as they say, but still triple digits the next, I believe, three days, and then the temperature moderates into the 90s. <laughs> Who would have thunk that would have been moderation? Whoa, but, whoa, whoa. I see a 89 on a Wednesday. No possible way. That'd be nice. Okay. Well, that, uh, yeah, it would be. We certainly would take that. Uh, all right. Donald Trump. Man. He's back on Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. He did. He tweeted. He X'd. He tweeted. <laughs> whatever the heck it is these days. You've already decreed, however, that on this program we still call it Twitter, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Until he comes up with something new and fantastical that the app can do, it's still good old Twitter. (laughs) I'm down for that. Well, uh, perhaps one of the most shared photographs in the history of the world and now is this one of I don't Donald know about Trump? That now. Well, I'm I'm saying at this point, I'm going out on a limb. Uh, it's Donald Trump. 
in his photo at the Fulton County Jail there, where he was arrested and and photographed, so-called mug shot, as they call it. So did you see that Trump said he never heard of the term mugshot? That's what he said. He, he said, uh, quote, never heard the word mugshot until this was taken. Does, do you believe that? He never heard the word mugshot. I mean, wasn't his nickname Teflon Don? <laughs> it's, uh, there's also some reports that the Fulton County Jail is uh, is not a nice place, shall we say. The former president described it as, quote, a terrible experience. Yeah, no doubt. $200,000 bond, right, the president had to post. He's 77 years old. I kept seeing reports that he used a, uh, used a bonding agency, which means he only had to pay 20000 Yeah, I don't know. Is that true? Did he? I think so, yeah. Okay. Because the way it works with a bond is you can either pay your bond yourself, and you get it back eventually. Yep. Or you go with a bondsman and they pay they post it they post or they yep. they say you're going to be where you're supposed to be and you pay 10%. That's right. The court guarantee they guarantee to the courts essentially. I'm in, I'm responsible. I'm going to go make sure they show up and then you're released on that bond. Uh, and it's it's insurance essentially. It's what it is. It's, it, bonds are a form of insurance, and so the the bonding company are insuring to the court. I'll make sure this individual gets back because if they try to skip out, then they send their folks out. It, you've probably seen the what's it called? Dog famous <laughs> dog the bounty hunter. Dog the bounty hunter. Yeah, I mean that essentially was their business. So he said it was a terrible experience, and I got to tell you, folks, looking at these mugshots of all those who were booked, the defendants, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, it's, it's something. I mean, it's just surreal looking at all this stuff. The uh, They don't look happy, shall we say, in their, in their photos. I mean, Trump's kind of tilted his head downward and then looked up with his eyes. He's got a scowl on his face. And you're right, he tweeted. And that was his first tweet, right, in, in some time. Is it, it, it yeah, since the, January 7th. Yeah. Of 20, what year was it? Was it 1? 21? Yeah, I think so. Which would have been, check. that would have been the day after January 6th when... The Capitol was invaded. Pardon me. January 8th, 2021. Okay. Two days after. So the tweet, if you had not seen it, folks, simply has the photo, his, his mugshot photo with the date, in all caps, mugshot, hyphen, August 24th, 2023, and then, and then the photo, and then below that, in all caps, centered, election interference, never surrender, DonaldJTrump.com. That's all it says. The only I will say this, Jenna Ellis is actually smiling. You've seen her <laughs> She's smiling like it's for a sorority composite. 
She's proud of it. Now, I'll admit, some of these folks, I don't know who they are. I see Mark Meadows. I recognize him. Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani. Which, didn't Mark Meadows' whole charge around he asked for Congress people's phone numbers for yeah. the president? I mean, it's insane. And so, in what way is that against the law, even in a RICO case? I, exactly. I, I, my feeling about this, yeah, Amanda from Pike County says two are smiling. I think you're right. Yeah, you're you are right. There's a there's a male, uh, Jenna Ellis is one. I don't know who this guy is though. I don't know all these people. I I have to admit. I mean, I recognize Giuliani, uh, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, of course Trump, Mark Meadows, the other players in here. I'm not sure who they are. I just haven't, I guess, studied it closely enough. John Eastman? Kenneth Cheeseboro? Cheesebro? I'm not sure who those folks are. And why, Cheesebro? <laughs> exactly. Why they're, and I may be pronouncing it incorrectly, uh, but they're, they're all in this uh, article I'm looking at, uh, 12, I see. But I think they're a total of, what, 18 plus Trump. But these are the mugshots that I'm looking at. Uh, so, I just got to point out when you when you go to the website from his newest tweet. Yeah, there's a line. I mean, it's it's asking for donations. He's running a presidential campaign, but there's a line that says in italics, "If you're doing poorly due to the sinister people in control of our country right now, don't even think about donating." <laughs> That's pretty clever, honestly. And you know the what I would say about that that I think helps Trump's cause is the president, the Democrats, and clueless Kamala Harris, all of their communication is if we're just enjoying just economic bliss. Everything is just fantastic. All these crazy statistics and graphs they throw out there and I, and I know I've shared this before but I, I gotta harken back to it again which is after the 887 billion dollar stimulus plan the recovery act as it was called under Barack Obama remember we were presumably ostensibly recovering from the financial meltdown of 2008, which is when he was elected, took office in 2009, and then they put this stimulus act out there that was supposed to fund roads and bridges. Everything's always roads and bridges. Remember, shovel-ready jobs. Remember that term? But, again, they send Biden out. That was a load of BS. (laughs) Total. They send Biden out on a tour across the country, and everywhere he went, I just remember vividly, he stood at that podium with that that Walter face, you know, the the, uh, the puppet, well, that Walter face, that scowl, and he'd say, it's working! The Recovery Act is working! Meaning, you're not really feeling it, but I'm telling you, it's working. Well, that's what I feel like he's doing again. He's, like, repeating that. Oh, my, my policies are just working. Everything's great, right? Oh, my gosh. We got so much to talk about today. We got Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and, of course, producer now of the Gallo Show. Coming on next to talk about high school football, Alyssa Arbuckle with Super Talk Mississippi News at 1120. We're in the Element Well Studio. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. what you did there, Rhino. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Lance Tolbert, host of Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show. Welcome aboard, Lance. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor, sir. Oh, man. I love so, that shirt you got on there. I appreciate that. Little sunglasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, first, before we talk about the scoreboard show, are you enjoying the producer gig. I'm having a blast. Uh, you can't ask for more to work with people like Nelly and Buddy. For about a year, I've been working with them. So, it, you know, it's, it's been very good practice on Saturday, getting yeah. up, getting here, having a good time. And, <laughs> and Dixon has been kind enough to let me learn control and logs and working ball games. And, yeah. and Will stone this at me and that. So uh, it felt like it was time if, if Perez was going to step out and uh, they were going to give me the opportunity. I remember when Will asked, he goes, what do you think about 6 a.m.? So, man, I can whatever you give me to do, I'm going to do it full force and bring the energy. So, I think some of our guests are like, "Man, are you already on a pot of coffee?" <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I, you know, my thing is, I just want to bring the energy to the job that it deserves. And uh, sure. I know Paul has been so complimentary on air, and he's been extremely uh, focused on where he wants to go, and he's willing to take suggestions. I love his mentorship, so I can tell you I've got a lot to learn. I'm, I, I get blown away every time I hang out with Rhino. He's just so good at his job. Will, uh, when you watch some of these guys do it, Borky, I, I've got a long way to go, Gerard, but I'm going to get there. Yeah, well, good. It, it is. Uh, a bunch, there are a bunch of professionals around here. It is... Uh, it's more difficult work, I think, than meets the eye. And, you know, I would say that that's a testament to the quality of the content from the network when our audience doesn't really realize. We don't want them to, to realize all the uh, the heavy lifting that goes on behind the scenes. We want it, that to be totally seamless and transparent and for just the shows to uh, produce good content and for our audience to have a great experience. That's what it's all about. Hey, if you can make it, it look as easy as you guys do, there is somebody in the booth trying hard to make that happen. <laughs> and uh, But it's it's an honor for all of us, I think, to be a part of such a great organization that has so much talent and, and has so many ways of getting the news and information out to the people in Mississippi. And that kind of leads us into, if you're looking for a ball game tonight to listen to, yeah. go to our website. Go out to the app and check out. We have quite a bit on and, you know, it's just one of those things when you're looking for content, we've got it. It yeah. depends on what you're looking for. No doubt. Uh, a, a wide variety of it for sure. All right, so tell us what we can expect 
about the scoreboard uh, show tonight. That got kicked off in 1995. It's hard to believe. So it's the longest-running statewide scoreboard show in the state of Mississippi. What are we looking forward to tonight? Well, you know, 28 years running, longest statewide show, and there's been a couple of uh, very you know talented people, Dixon Williams being one of those that uh, helped start it. So I always like to sit down and visit with Dixon about – when you didn't have all this technology, how did it work? Because we got it easy now. You get scores coming in and people texting you and all yeah. that. So what you can look forward to is us trying to integrate as much of the text line and, and the technology we have and the scores streaming in and, and really just trying to have a good time and getting information to the listeners. A lot of the games are starting at 730, so some of those may be as far as scores go, may not be reported by the time we get off air. But after a couple or three weeks, that that seems to tighten up a little bit. So, uh, you know, the thing you want to really mention a little is the 2022 state championship uh, that that happened, that really finished us off, where 6A Starkville, you know, they won it, and Picayune won the 5A, uh, Louisville the 4A, Raleigh 3A, Scott Central 2A, Bay Springs 1A. All those teams are going to be very good again this year. And uh, there has been reclassifications all over the high school public side and hmm. so it's it's a very big juggling game for all of us that we're comfortable or getting that way with the way the the classifications worked the structure of the the regions uh, that's all thrown out the window now so, so we have seven eight now right? we have seven a now and and one of the oddities with that is uh seven six and five a have 24 teams that are in that and it was around 30 so you you had some jockeying there but the the seven a is only 23 teams so district two or Region 2, uh, it only has five teams in it. And that's because Murrah, who is classified as a 7A school according to the allotment of students and their enrollment, doesn't play in the 7A setting this year. They're playing a freelance schedule, which I haven't quite figured that out yet, Gerard. I've, <laughs> I've tried to find it anywhere, but it's a unique situation where Murrah is a 7A school, and okay. that's why there's only 24 that will be in the 7A rankings, although Murrah being the 24th, they don't participate in the 7A football side. So okay. so you got District 2 or Region 2 will have five teams. And you do that through 7, 6, and 5A. Then you get down to 4, 3, 2, and 1. And uh, all of those are larger than the, the 24. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and it just spreads out. Uh, it A lot of teams that you think – you go, okay, well, they were in this, and now they're in. it's going to take everyone a little time to figure this out. But I will say, Starkville, the former, uh, the defending champ is a 7A school, and Brandon, Ocean Springs, Tupelo, all those guys move up. Picayune, who was uh, 5A last year, uh, they're going to be 6A this year. And so, you know, hmm. there's a lot of jockeying like that. And, yeah. and so some of these matchups, like Picayune West Point, that have been really big over the last few years are, are not going to be there. Uh, Louisville, they stay in 4A. Um, you know, so there's a lot of that going on where it's just going to take a minute. you got to get to your, your region games, your district games in a few weeks and start seeing how some of this works. But uh, in, in the MAIS, you have – uh, Jackson Prep and MRA, you know, they, they squared off for the championship last year where Prep won that. And Oak Forest 5A won that over Simpson Academy. Greenville St. Joe, they won the 4A. And Canton Academy um, beat Central Homes 47-14 for the 3A. Tunica, uh, 2A champion in Academy Ball and 1A 
Lee, Arkansas played DeSoto, Arkansas. You know, so that's Mississippi football for you. Uh, but, they, you know, so you, you really – all of these teams are poised to do well again. Yeah. And then another thing that just really struck me was the amount of four-star or higher players that are in the state this year. Uh, it really is a double from last season where the blue chippers, you have 15 four-star uh, or higher players and 10 in the junior class coming up next year. So that's about 25 four-star or higher players that – are going to be participating in football across the state. And the top ten in Mississippi uh, for this season have been very well recruited by the Mississippi schools. Ole Miss and State have done very well. And the list of the top 25, it's just a – you go look at these top 25 kids this year. They're, they're Stanford's and Southern Miss and Ole Miss and yeah. State. And, you know, guys are going to really good schools. So the talent level this year is going to be very high. And I think you'll see that continue for several seasons beyond. So hmm. – uh, if you're interested in high school football, you need to get out and watch some games or tune in because the quality of the product seems to continue be, you know, getting better. And I don't know if that's a testament to our coaching, the development, uh, technology, integration and synergy around all this, but uh, you're definitely seeing Mississippi put out more per capita four-star better players in places like Texas and Florida and California, which people go, wow, is that the case? Oh, yeah. And, and so the talent level's there. And it's a it's a sport that is kicking off. Just saw where four star athlete Norrell White mm-hmm. just committed to Ole Miss, selected Ole Miss over Mississippi State. That's, just broke that was, about ten minutes ago. Well, yeah, I did not catch that, but you know that's one of those points I'm making. He's he's down the list a bit uh, hmm. as far as you know. Um, out of these 25. Four-star down the list. He's, ele- he's 11th. You know, so, I mean, that ought to tell you. And he's one of the best players in the state, uh, a, a kid that's at St. Martin and, you know, okay. a, a really great player. And his recruitment has been somewhat of a, you know, it's um, he's had a good time with it, I should say. And so I, no one really knew what he was going to do. So yeah. that's good news for Ole Miss that he chose the Rebs because the Rebs have loaded up on defensive line and wide receiver in this class so far. Yep. And State seems to be doing much the same. Yeah. Is there any uh, special accommodations for the games uh, getting, getting kicked off given the heat? They've bumped some of them back. Uh, I believe the Oxford-Lafayette Crosstown rivalry actually starts at 6. So huh. that, they're getting started a little early. Hmm. Um, but most of these games are going to be 7.30, and I believe there's an 8 or so start in there. But, you know, uh, the heat's rough. They did this breaks, last year. Any kind of uh, required breaks? I believe they'll have like water that. breaks required as last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just trying to beat the heat a hair. I yeah. mean, 8 o'clock is still 90-something degrees, So, but at least you may get a little breeze or something. Man. Well, I was up in Oxford last week, as you know, and was on field watching uh, the team scrimmage. Man, I don't see how they do it. It's mm. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but at least they're on natural turf because, as you know, oh, God. that uh, Astro Place is 20 degrees warmer. Yes. Yeah. All right, Lance, appreciate it. Looking forward to the uh, scoreboard show. The Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show. Uh, you'll be handling that along with uh, Willie's. Yes, sir. Yeah, right? All right. Appreciate it, man. We're coming right back. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. On this Friday, y'all, Lily from the 662 concerning the weather says, Up here on the Tennessee state line in Corinth, we have a projected low of 59. What? A five-handle? One day next week. Enjoy it there, Louie. That is awesome. I am green with envy. Yeah, because you were saying yesterday that the thing you dislike the most about this uh, oppressive heat is when it's very hot and uncomfortable when it's dark at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, when the heat sticks around overnight and you get up in the morning expecting a somewhat of a break from it and you step outside and it's like, man, I'm already sweating. What is this? It's <laughs> 7 in the morning. Uh, I hear you. And we, of course, got our little puppy at home, Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, and he's exploring his new surroundings, as you can imagine. I think he's 10 weeks old. He's oh, a little yeah. dude. Just a little guy. Little dude. And so I noticed that my wife, what's up with this, bought the the food bowl that's, like, got little sections in it to make it difficult. Is that to make them slow down? Yeah, it, it slows down their, their eating. It helps with especially younger animals, and they're still learning their their capabilities. Okay. They can eat a little too fast and can upset their stomach. Okay. So if you have the special bowl, it slows them down and helps their digestion a bit. It looks like a circular maze. Oh, yeah. Is what it looks like. And so what he does is he kind of circles the bowl <laughs> trying to get in better position. I'm surprised his tail's wagging the whole time. I'm surprised he doesn't get dizzy doing that. But uh, we're having fun. He's a hoot right now. Got a little pink belly on him. I was rubbing his belly. He's decided that he likes that. Last night I was rubbing that little pink belly. (laughs) Kind of cool. Let's see. Talking about the Trump situation. Arrested, mugshot taken like a trophy to the folks on the left. They're like euphoric about it. Giddy. They're nothing to be euphoric about here. Regardless. It's, um, It's sad in my view. But... Richard Biloxi says it was political theater, one of the most recognizable men in the world. You know, that's a point, too, is it not? Do you really need a mugshot, like, to identify this person? Gee, who's that over there? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I agree. And then the motorcade. I mean, the whole production. Which there is a video making the rounds on social media of him rolling through a neighborhood in Atlanta, and people are lined up. Shouting, chanting, free Trump. Yeah, I saw that. Did I also see that, I guess, the mayor of Atlanta was was seen out and about around the area? I don't know the exact total, all the details. All I know is that I caught the tail end of a report that suggested that Trump supporters were hurling insults and profanities at her because they thought she was the DA. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, And I saw that there were a lot of uh, motorcycle cops 
in in the motorcade as well. You see, you see that? Oh yeah, like thirty of them ride in pair. Well, I think that if I'm not mistaken, in a motorcade you have motorcycle officers because they can weave through the motorcade and get out in front of it to shut down okay. incoming traffic so that it's I got free you. flowing. I got you. But it's crazy to think he flies that big Trump, whatever it is, 757, 767 jet, lands at Hartsfield, and then the motorcade's there, and they go to Fulton County, get booked, processed, mugshot taken. He did a little short video. We may even have that, right? Do you see that? I think I may have sent you something, a little short uh, video of him. This was just before... He went inside uh, the jail there to get to get booked. You know, my my take on this deal is just looking at the charges and just reading the details of of all the events that transpired. I don't see where he broke the law. I, in fact, I would submit that he was entitled to everything he did. I mean, contesting an election is not against the law. Right? You got it? We got time? Here we go. Thank you very much for being here. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you uh, very soon. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I agree with him. He, he Absolutely. Any of us have the right to question an election. That um, it's not limited to those who aren't the president, that were the candidate. They have a right to do that. I, I, it's just hard to see this as anything but a political witch hunt. And I would say, Rhino, to some extent, observing the euphoria about this from the left, and and the way in which the DA, what's her name, Fanny Willis, handled this prime time, and just her delivery. Her, her her body English, her tone suggested that this this was just a personal conquest, that the law was very secondary in this case. I do think he's got bigger troubles with the Mar-a-Lago documents case, and, and we'd certainly debate that all day long, but that, that's somewhat legitimate at least that maybe we ought to look at that. And, of course, the other thing that just aggravates the snot out of all of us, I'm one of them, is the double standard. The double standard. The fact that he gets booked and and uh, has a mugshot taken, gets arrested before Hunter and Joe Biden is unthinkable to me. 
the evidence there to me is clear. Now, a lot of people may differ on their view on that, but gosh, looking at these bank reports, man, that that kind of stuff is um, what causes auditors to take note. And when you look at those suspicious activity reports, they call them SARS for short, there's no explanation. I mean, this guy's been a career government signed the back of a check guy. His, I mean, his entire career, his entire life. And when you look at the money they have, and you look at Hunter Biden riding on the, the Air Force Two, just none of that adds up. And so the double standard is is bothersome. Now, okay, if we're going to support consistent application of the law, which we all should, in my view, if if Trump did something wrong, well, then he needs to suffer the consequences of the law. Uh, but we have to have consistency. There is no law if it's not applied consistently. That 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 is the 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 makings of a banana republic for sure. This does look more like the Soviet Union when you see that, and it, it is bothersome. Uh, but the the left is celebrating this, and there's nothing to celebrate here. They, they It's what they wanted. And That's because the left has no shame. And they, they fear this guy. And, you know, I, I'll say this. Again, this, this is the side of Donald Trump that I appreciate, that I respect, and that I like. He did expose the corruption in the sprawling, labyrinth agency complex. No doubt about it. He exposed it. And, you know, I believe more than anything, that's what they fear. I really do. And the reality is every single dang candidate for president ought to be keeping an eye. Every every person that serves as president ought to be constantly looking out for overreach of these ridiculous career bureaucrats that you can't boot. They're just entrenched forever, it seems. And they've got broad power. That's why Peter Strzok was so brazen. No doubt about it. And it's it's what they fear about this guy more than anything is that he gets that. And I do think you could attribute that to his business background, where when, you, when you're growing an organization, you, you have a risk of there being sort of rogue people at different levels of the organization that uh, start acting in a way that is first beyond their level of authority and, and, and second in, in a way that's not in the best interest of the organization. But it's a fine line because you want to empower people. You want to empower people to, to take action, to make decisions, but they can't do things that exceed their authority or that, that don't require them to at least get further approval. But that's what's been happening in the agency complex in this country. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Did want to pass on that. The game time tonight in the football game where Oxford hosts Lafayette. 
is 7 o'clock. Lance thought it might be at 6, and he poked his head in to say that it, uh, I think it maybe got moved to 7 in the interest, probably, of the heat. So 7 o'clock, Lafayette takes on Oxford. William and Brandon says, if that photo isn't a look of determination, referring to the mugshot of Donald Trump, I've never seen one. Sad day for our country. Debs can go. This is Brent from Mendenhall. Debs can go against and try overturn elections and nothing happens. This country has went to hell under people. We have to change now. Frank and Grenada pointed out that most of those folks in the uh, that were booked are attorneys yeah. working with Trump. Yeah, because the I think the allegation is they were all involved in the in the so-called racketeering, the RICO. Tony in uh, Columbia says, "You talking about Kamala's Venn diagrams? <laughs> what a joke!" That was Tim and McGee all these years, and none of the Clintons were indicted. And now you want, won't ever see the Biden's mug shots. None of this is right. None of it. The double standard is disgusting, Tim. I agree. Uh, what's crazy is we got two candidates, likely at this point, appear to be the odds-on favorite to be the candidates for president, both of whom have... Legal issues that they're embroiled in. That's crazy. I still think that we're going to see more come out on the Bidens. I think the Republican House under Jim Jordan and James Comer of Kentucky, I think are still looking uh, pretty good as far as producing more information that is, is going to be damning for the Bidens. And on that basis, I think on that basis and likely something else that I believe is going to happen, I don't know what that is. It's just a just an opinion, just speculation. <clears throat> With respect to Joe Biden, it, it will cause him not to be the nominee. I don't know who that might be. I'm hearing rumblings again about Michelle Obama. You think that's possible, Rhino? Nah. I really don't either, but there, there's buzz, and maybe that's just wishful thinking on the part of Democrats that know they got a uh, a soiled, shall we say, uh, candidate that is not their best effort. I don't know. I think you would see Hillary give it another chance before you'd see Michelle Obama run. I, I agree with you. It still believes right in her heart that that she won. I mean, that's what's so upside down. I mean, the Democrats routinely have have uh, groused about election interference. Hell, the whole first term for, for Donald Trump every day, it was Russian interference. Illegitimate president. That's the whole time. It's, so it's nothing new. This, this has been going on a while. No doubt. I mean, think back to the time after Trump got elected, but before he was sworn in. You had pretty much all of Hollywood producing videos to be put out on social media and played on the air that you could be a conscientious objector. You could be the elector that doesn't put this madman in the White House. That's true. Yet, is, is that not election interference? Well, it would seem so. According to the standard they've set for Trump. Yeah, I just, I'm not buying that. And, you know, again, questioning the integrity of an election, whether there were any 
improprieties or not, that's irrelevant. You have a right to question. And and as far as I can tell, that's pretty much the crux of what he did. Uh, now, there's reports, I think, and some accusations, if I'm not <clears throat> wrong here, about him intimidating some poll workers, a, a worker and, and daughter. But it seems to me like that became a fishing tale, that it, it got exaggerated a bit beyond what really happened. And then it's called to which I listened to, to the Secretary of State. I, I didn't quite interpret that the way I think this indictment posits it. I, it doesn't sound consistent with that. A, having listened to the tape itself, I don't... Uh, I, now, personally, just, I think, understanding and, and analyzing, reviewing the demographics of Georgia... I can absolutely see that Mr. Trump lost the state. I really can. I mean, Georgia, like a lot of states, is Atlanta with some other cities. But if you look at the population in Atlanta and those counties uh, around it, with the exception probably of Gwinnett, gosh, they're, uh, they're fairly strong Democrat strongholds and so you're relying on again a handful of the outlying counties I don't know I mean it's 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 a tough one but I don't think that he broke any laws here I really don't certainly did engage in racketeering I think that's nonsense but that's what they're alleging and that's what got his that's what got his mugshot taken that's what got him arrested and I think it's a sad day for the country Moe says, I'm ready for some college football. If Navy can get their running game going early, Notre Dame may have more of a fight on their hands. Moe, i got to follow up with you on something you pointed out yesterday that uh, I want to share after the break. It's Fox News, Super Talk News. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. From the movie Vision Quest, it's only the young by Journey. <laughs> I have no idea what that movie's about. But. Wrestling. Okay. Well, well I mean, I know wrestling, it had a wrestling. wrestling. That's right. But, like, the theme, uh, it's kind of hard to track. But uh, great music, though, no doubt about that. So Mose pointed out something yesterday. Says uh, there were states that changed their voting process by executive order rather than through the legislative process. Those states' electoral votes should not have been counted in 2020. And uh, and so when he said that, you know, yesterday I said, well, the remedy for that would be, of course, to, to file a lawsuit, take legal action. And, and that still would be the case. But I, I got curious about it and looked it up. And in fact, Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 of the Constitution the time I'm reading the times place and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof but the congress 
may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as to places of choosing senators. So I was trying to figure out how does that relate to the president? Because it, it doesn't say. So I'm, I'm uh, still looking for that, trying to get uh, further information on it. But it, but it did kind of make sense in that respect. Hmm. It's kind of kind of weird. I I found nothing related to the president with respect to that. And I actually read an article published in the Federalist a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and, and the title of this article. This is a story with which I wasn't honestly familiar. It says, Biden won in 2020 the same way Soviet basketball won gold in 1972. 1972. And the article referenced this, uh, this clause in the Constitution and made a point about how states did. It was COVID. It was the whole deal. Remember that you had this... Just chaos around how are we going to vote in 2020? Because we were right in the throes of the COVID stuff. How are we going to vote? And lots of states did, in fact, alter, change the voting process, the elections process, allowing more liberal reasons to vote by mail, if you will, Liberal in that, not as restrictive. And they basically said in this article, the vast majority of the significant changes were done in violation of the Constitution's requirement that state legislatures handle such rules. Changes led to tens of millions of unsupervised ballots flooding into the system at the same time that scrutiny of said ballots was diminished. And the scrutiny that they're talking about here primarily has to do with validating the um, identity of the voter and then, of course, ensuring it was that the ballot in a mail-in case matched the signature on file of the voter. And in some states that's done electronically by machines that compare signatures. Sometimes it's done manually. Uh, and then there was some, some talk in this article about Zuckerberg's investment of more than $400 million to take over government offices. And so a lot, a lot of times you hear folks talk about, well, Trump got more votes than any other incumbent president in history. And Trump makes that point a lot as well. That's true, but Joe Biden got more than any other candidate in history. So I I don't think it would be logical to say, well, all of Joe Biden's eighty one million votes were were fraudulent and all of Donald Trump's were valid. I don't think that's true. I do think there is a tendency amongst us uh, on the right to underestimate the unpopularity of Donald Trump leading up to the election. 
uh, I think that often goes somewhat overlooked. And I also think, as we've said so many times on the program, that just got to be realistic about how the electoral vote process works. That all comes down to a handful of counties and in about four states, maybe five. If you could now throw Georgia into the mix, I think you would have to reasonably. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and now in Arizona, and now Georgia. And it's the same thing coming up the next time. So here's here's the deal. Uh, I've seen folks say that, hey, look, we just can't have fair elections. Okay, well, then should that mean we just should, should just hand it to the Democrat right now and just not conduct elections since we can't have fair ones? Is that is that the thing to do? And folks have said, no, we we got to keep fighting against this. Okay, what? How do we do that specifically in Pennsylvania, which is run by Democrats, or Michigan, or Wisconsin? How do we do that? I, I don't know that we on the right have a lot of options there. I haven't thought through it totally, but like everything that you're trying to make significant change to usually means time and money. So where do we get the time and money? And that would would mean lawsuits. I don't know. And 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 so if you call on the Republicans in those state those states to take action and to get more involved, well, they don't have any control. <laughs> They're outnumbered. And so the Democrats just put them down, just reject, rebuff any attempt. So it's a tough deal. I, I personally believe that the right candidate with the right message can win and can defeat the Democrat nominee. And if we don't believe that, well, then let's just call off all the all the debates, let's call off the primaries, let's don't conduct an election and just hand it. And it seems like there are a lot of people that are at that point where they don't have any confidence. And I, I certainly understand why anybody's confidence would be shaken. I'm not suggesting that they're wrong in, in thinking so. But I've got more faith, perhaps, than they do, that the right candidate could, in fact, prevail. And I, and I point out, again, something I think we got to at least recognize that is that in 2016, Donald Trump, he lost a popular vote to Hillary Clinton. How could that happen? We, I think, on the right have to be more sensitive and more realistic about the number of people in this country that don't see things the way we do. And how do, how do we change them? How do we get to their hearts and minds? What, what, uh, what's the path to achieve that? What's the, the a proper approach? Why, why are we losing in the public square? I submit it's because the left has effectively conditioned our population to expect more from government, to rely on government for every aspect of their life. That's like what many of them want. It's the antithesis 
of what Democrat President John F. Kennedy said, famously. That's not what your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for your country. Think about how far we've departed from that concept. And, And every day I come in here and read these crazy tweets, ideas from Hakeem Jeffries and Liz Warren, and it's all about, I'm going to give you this and this and this and this every day. And that's what attracts them. It's hard to overcome that. And have we gotten to a point where we're willing to sacrifice freedom and more than that, opportunity? Because it's the opportunity and the freedom that produces wealth and the best outcomes and it's how people ascend that economic ladder, ladder like a Vivek Ramaswamy, as an example, who before he's 38, he's a billionaire. They hate that. They loathe that. He did it without government, for the most part. And then they'll get involved and say, what about the roads? What about the bridges? What about the police? Well, he paid his dang taxes for that. That's the least you could do for that. They just they don't want to have that argument. They just loathe success without them being in the middle of it. We're stepping aside for a break right now, coming back with Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. All right, Alyssa, we've been talking uh, national politics uh, quite a bit. On the program this week, that's primarily because we had two big events. We had the RNC debate, the very first one, and then, of course, the arrest and booking of former President Donald Trump yesterday. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the great state of Mississippi. Tell us what you've been tracking. Um, the top story for this week is the Greenwood that Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. It is back up for lease. Uh, it has been... I mean, it's had a lot of issues where they're trying to find somebody who will buy out the hospital. Um, and the CEO, he just released this week that it is going to be up for lease uh, soon. Um, Greenwood Mayor Carolyn McAdams has said that right now that the best case scenario is to receive critical hospital access status. Um, but it's been really hard for the hospital to receive that. Um, because of its proximity to uh, South Sunflower County Medical Center. So you have to be 35 miles away. They're 28 miles away from South Sunflower. So um, it's making it really hard for them to get that um, status. But fortunately, uh, Gary Marchand, which is the CEO, he said that there are some people, some entities that have said that they're interested in leasing um, Greenwood LaFleur. So... Hopefully they are able to have, you know, somebody come forward and 
take control of that. Um, they have had talks with the University of Mississippi Medical Center uh, within the past year, but those ended in like November. Um, just fell through. That was a really big deal. Um, but throughout this whole time, then over the past year, they've um, closed like labor and delivery, urology, uh, neurosurgery, stuff like that, and have laid off about 150 people and cut costs. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the the deal is trying to achieve this this new designation uh, for Medicare. It would improve mm-hmm. their Medicare reimbursement. Yes. The way that program works. And uh, it just helped pull more revenue in mm-hmm. is, uh, is the deal. And, it, yeah, there's some some guidelines around that, some requirements to uh, to be designated as such by CMS, by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're working on. Yeah, I think the deal with UMC is, is done. It's, yeah, it's not I think so. Happen. 100%. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the CEO says that they have enough revenue to fund operations into early 2024. So they have... A couple months to be able to, you know, figure it all out, try to get somebody up to lease the facility, and hopefully they'll still have a, a hospital over hmm. in Greenwood. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been the big news uh, this that's week, That's been right? one of the main ones, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I believe they actually contacted our news department, right? They did, yeah. Uh, Caleb Sailors, he wrote the story about it. If you want to read more in depth about how all of that worked out and all of the steps that they have to get the, you know, access and everything, yep. the status, then you can go on to supertalk.fm and read more about it there. Yep. And then we've got uh, runoffs coming up. Mm-hmm. Runoffs uh, are coming up, yeah. Next Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, we've got some house raises, I think, that are that uh, advance to a runoff. Mm-hmm. And so we got to go to the polls then. Anything you've heard on that? Any particular um, news there? There are a lot of smaller positions. Yeah, we have a bunch in uh, for the House, but not the Senate necessarily. Yeah. Um, I think there are about five or six. I think, I think it's six. six. Yeah. yeah. Um, the districts that are up for a runoff election, um, it's, you know, Republican and Democrat. You know, it kind of just varies. It's yeah. not primarily one or the other. Um, but for the uh, smaller offices that are up, like coroner or sheriff and stuff like that, we've got a lot of counties that are going to be included in that runoff. Hmm. Um, and if you want to find out if you are um, included in that and that you're able to vote then and that your county is in that, um, we have the full list on supertalk.fm as well. I wrote that one. Um, we wrote it this week, so it should be okay. fairly recent. You can find it there. Okay. So we were we were talking earlier about um, the debate course, mm-hmm. which uh, was held this past Wednesday in Milwaukee, and we had uh, one of our columnists, mm-hmm. Ashley Edwards, on the program yesterday. He wrote a, a nice piece, just summarizing he, his thoughts mm-hmm. uh, about the debate, and also we had some folks here from the great state of Mississippi that uh, attended. I know that uh, GOP Chairman Frank Bordeaux Mm -hmm. uh, attended. I believe that Austin Barber also attended. Um, And there were a couple other people uh, as well. haven't heard any feedback uh, from them at this point, but you have any thoughts about about Ashley's piece. I thought that it was a really great piece. Um, I worked on the graphic design for it, and I thought that was really great. Um, it just, I feel like Ashley did a really great job at laying out the entire debate, kind of how everybody's roles were in it. Um, and he 
primarily took, you know, uh, Nikki Haley, who's the former South Carolina governor, um, took her out and said, you know, she, you know, started off the debate really strong and really turned everybody around right at the beginning. Um, and I think he did a great job laying out everything as well as Trump's role in it. Um, I mean, I'm, some people know, but uh, Trump, he had uh, an interview with the former Fox News host, uh, Tucker Carlson. They had a an interview released on Twitter, I think shortly after that debate, um, which, you know, Trump wasn't at the debate physically, uh, but that turned a lot of heads right after the debate as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that have been something to be at the debate on Wednesday and then in Fulton County being arrested on Thursday? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> that would have been just, just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Totally. So the, the, uh, the polls... Uh, post-debate polls have been released, conducted by a number of polling organizations. And all that I've seen put DeSantis on top, followed by Ramaswamy, and then Nikki Haley. And in fact, if you look at a at a, at a scatter graph uh, showing DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Nikki, and then Tim Scott kind of pulling up those four in the very good category – and Pence, Christie, Burgum, Hutchinson in the below average or about average category. Mm-hmm. So uh, no surprise there, but still show Donald Trump with a commanding lead uh, in the field. Just really kind of a, a, a bizarre sort of deal. You know, the other thing we got coming up is uh, a really big general election in Mississippi particularly for governor. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing uh, both candidates really ratchet up the activity in their campaigns. I've seen lots of ads across television. Of course, we've, uh, we've, we've seen some on our air as well. And, of course, they're both pretty busy on social media and sending out mailers and things things like that. You hearing anything from the campaigns on that? I mean, I was really, really interested in seeing how the lieutenant governor's race was going to iron out. And now that the primaries are done, I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the general elections between Reeves and Presley are going to iron out as well. I think that one's going to be the big one for yeah. this election, just like lieutenant governor was for the primaries. Yeah. And, of course... Uh, Presley is uh, really focusing on trying to link the governor to the whole TANF deal, mm-hmm. the TANF scandal. I don't know how successful he'll be with that angle. Uh, and, of course, what the governor's doing is is linking Presley to national Democrats and, and the Democrat agenda, uh, I think, is an effective strategy, honestly, in a state that uh, is, is fairly red. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see where all that lands us in in November. But it's kind of it, it's kind of interesting to see how much it's died down since the primary. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with all the focus, all the eyes on the lieutenant governor's race, and then that uh, th- that one's over is from a primary perspective, and it just seems like a lot of the activity has just subsided since mm-hmm. then. I guess not to be surprised uh, at this point because there was so much focus and so much effort in the primary because for the most part you'd have to assume whoever wins the republican primary for that office is going to go on and prevail in the general Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we got going on here and the other races are are very similar although i think there is going to be a debate um between secretary of state michael watson and his democrat opponent shawaski young i think they have agreed to a debate 
I don't know that I've ever seen a debate between Secretary of State candidates. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. No matter what, it'll be a really interesting election. Sure will. All right. Appreciate you coming in and give us an update, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. You got it. Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Super Talk Mississippi. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. You make me live as a man insane. You broke my wind, but what a thrill. Goodness, Mr. Rick, it's just quitting balls of fire. Welcome back. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Also today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with new hit country artist Drew Pulliam. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant, or go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. All right, so on the ceasefire text line, you should only be able to vote if you show up in person says Gerald and Smithdale. Okay, so Gerald, that means the men and women that serve in the U.S. military that uh, still have their permanent residence and thus their voter registration in the state of Mississippi would not be allowed to vote. That those who are infirmed, legitimately infirmed, that still have the right to vote but are immobile are not allowed to. That if for some reason... You're unable to get to the poll on that day. Let's say you have surgery, for example. One year, I had a business meeting. Had to be out of town. And I I voted absentee. So I hear what you're saying, but is it right to deny folks the, the uh, their vote in those circumstances and situations? You know, something else is, this is kind of crazy, but this is this happens. If you're born overseas, I, I believe I got this right, Ryan. If you're born overseas, let's say to a member of our military or someone who's serving our country in some other capacity, um, but 
you um, uh, you're born to that that couple or to the parent. I think you're automatically a citizen. If you're born to a citizen, let's say it's a member of our military, and and they're stationed overseas at a U.S. military base, and then they they get to um, be of voting age, they can register to vote. They have the right to vote. Uh, it's the way it worked, and they would, and that would be so based on the permanent residence of their. Their parents at the time, which might be in the state of Mississippi. So they're, they're, I guess the point I'm making is there's a bunch of exceptions. We got to figure out something else other than to say everybody's go to the poll, got to go to the polls on election day between seven and seven, and they got to do it on paper, and you got to hand count it. That's just not going to work. It's not practical. That's the point. So how do we guard against election fraud, given that that's just not practical? That ought to be the goal. And again, it's Oregon, right? Yep, I think uh, we found that out. I said it was Washington yesterday that only votes via mail. But it's it's actually Oregon, uh, which, of course, borders Washington. And you, you're going to see more and more of that. I have concerns about the rising generation of voters that are accustomed to conducting their entire lives on their phones. That we're going to literally run out of voters because they're not going to be motivated to hop in their vehicle and drive to circuit clerk's office and manually register to vote and fill out all kinds of paperwork. And then on election day, hop in their cars, go to the polls, stand in line, present an ID, get a paper ballot, fill it out, scan it, or however. I I just think they're not going to be interested in doing that, especially since they do virtually everything else electronically. Those of us that didn't grow up with all those tools, we we don't feel, I guess, as put out (laughs) and inconvenienced. But I think the next generation does. It's it's a legitimate concern. You may not share it, but I I believe it is. I think they just expect, what do you mean? I can't do this electronically, remotely, on my phone? I mean, there are proponents of blockchain that would say blockchain's a pretty good answer for being able to vote anywhere you want to because it's got a public ledger of every single change made to it. I'm, I'm one of those. I absolutely do believe there is a, a good fit, a good a good use case in voting for blockchain. Uh, and, you, you know, it's you don't we don't talk about this a lot, but I do track what's going on there with respect to blockchain technology. And I actually have this theory that we may get to a point where there's no longer a need for financial audits, as crazy as that sounds. If it's all on the chain. Right. I mean, traditional financial audits right. where auditors show up when it's, when it's that time, a year, and they start pulling records, which are usually computerized reports, or they use computerized tools to to search through your electronic records, and they compile all that and look at documents and all that sort of stuff to to support various transactions that might not need that. Same could be said for 
lots of the legal work that occurs when, when all that is, like you say, in the in, uh, immutable ledgers is, is what the value of a blockchain is. So th- there are lots of other use cases and benefits of that to- technology. Voting is like a perfect use case for that. And so if you're not familiar with the whole blockchain deal, you hear a lot about Bitcoin mining, for example. And all that really means is that people are literally using very powerful, sophisticated electronic tools and a whole bunch of compute horsepower and bandwidth to find problems in the blockchain, to solve a mathematical problem. And so it's, it's, it's self-policing. That you literally get rewarded for finding problems. And they're fairly rare, the problems are, but when they crop up and they're assigning these numbers to them, these, these what they call hash numbers, that literally is what they're doing. And they're getting paid for making sure everything is, is accurate. We, they get Bitcoin. That's how they get paid. So it's self-policing. So what you're doing is you're, you're essentially compensating people who may otherwise choose an illegitimate compute path as a hacker to go use your hacking skills to make sure this thing's accurate. We'll pay you for it. That's why it's so dang accurate. Because all these smart hackers are making sure that it is because they're getting paid for it. You could do the same thing in voting, literally. Think about that. Hey, rather than than committing voting fraud, we'll pay you in Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting that, but it's it's a novel idea, is it not? Because then you have people on both sides. Uh, and all the people that want a paper trail, well, it's not exactly a paper trail, but it's the closest thing you can get to it digitally. Exactly. Uh, that's exactly. And look, paper is subject to mistakes. Humans are way subject to making calculation errors. But you could have all kinds of fraud with just paper. I mean, that, that's, that's no assurance. I know a lot of people feel good about it because they can hold it in their hand. You know, it's, it's physical. I, I, I certainly appreciate that, understand that, but that's not, that's not an absolute protector. Let's see, Anonymous. Uh, my wife was born in Japan at a military base and doesn't have a birth certificate. She has a certificate of live birth of a U.S. citizen overseas. Has caused problems occasionally, such as their first adult passport. Back then, children were on a parent's passport. Okay. makes That makes sense. I, yeah. Appreciate that. Nowadays, there's an, another term they use. I'm trying to remember. It's the acronym's CRB. A, something like that, like consular report of birth abroad, I want to say, where if you have a, if you're a U.S. citizen overseas and you have a child that's born abroad, you let the embassy know and they send you the form to fill out the, the report of birth abroad. Makes sense. And that's just, that's your paper trail, your proof that, yes, your child is a U.S. citizen. So... Should they be afforded the right as a citizen to vote? May not have ever been in this country. Literally. I mean, if they're a citizen and they're making money abroad, they're probably going to have to pay taxes on it. So why wouldn't they vote? That's true. 
The U.S. is one of the few countries in the world where if you're not in the U.S. making money, you still got to pay taxes to the U.S. That's true. So and we just bring this up to point out the, the complexities of the idea of everybody's just got to go to the polls between 7 and 7 on Election Day. It just doesn't fit every situation. And, and I don't think that's the way our founders intended it, but they didn't have all this other stuff. We're coming right back. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back to Middays from the Element Well Studio. Monday, the Sports Talk Mississippi gang will be live at the sports book inside the Golden Moon Casino at Pearl River Resort to kick off the college football season and celebrate the sports book's five-year anniversary. Learn more about everything happening from golf and gaming to live events and great dining at PearlRiverResort.com. Yeah, it's hard to believe one week from uh, tomorrow, at least, in Mississippi, college football. Man. Got a little bit this weekend with the Week Zero games yeah. to, to wet your whistle. Yep. But it is honest. I hope that means cooler weather is around the corner. Shouldn't we want, on the ceasefire text line, all eligible Americans to vote? The vote, the only logical reason, pardon me, I see in wanting to make it more difficult for eligible voters to vote is because the people who want these restrictions are afraid of what the majority of eligible voters want. I, you know, I I think that there's maybe a little bit of truth to that, but I think the concern is, uh, to uh, the point by this uh, person on our text line, is that if if we make it so easy that in making it easy, we're also making it easy to cheat. And you hear the refrain a lot, easy to vote, hard to cheat. That's what I support. And I'm with you. I've thought for some time, really since the advent of blockchain, which was, let's be honest, popularized by cryptocurrency. Blockchain preceded cryptocurrency. The concept of blockchain, an immutable distributed ledger, was uh, was conceived of and invented some time before cryptocurrency people, entrepreneurs, figured out, hey, yeah, we could use this technology to create to create money, essentially. And and there are just a wide range of applications. I do think voting is one of those. I absolutely believe that, and I think we'll see that around the corner. It's probably not that far off. We'll start seeing that in some states. Also, this person said, so I don't get it. Were Republicans not allowed to use the same system of voting that the Democrats did in 2020? Well, they were. I think the contention on the Republican side is that Democrats just had a a well-organized game to defraud the system and, and, and cheat. Honestly, and 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 they've got 
just a litany of at least what they deem to be examples. And many of those were the subject of lawsuits didn't pan out. Something else I just uh, I just got noticed on. This is kind of bizarre here, Rhino, is that apparently Trump has got his Mar-a-Lago estate up for sale. They just broke. $422 million. You seeing this? I mean, this literally just broke, folks. And even though it's on Zillow, right? So even though it, it doesn't, it's not listed as Trump's estate, uh, now he's saying that he sold it. Yeah, it's showing up sold. as sold on Zillow. Apparently okay. it was listed as early as the 4th of this month. $2,422 million. Now, in the Palm Beach, I'm literally looking at the Palm Beach Daily News here. Eric Trump denies. Denies Mar-a-Lago has been sold after Zillow reports this sale. And, and of course, people know it's his because of the address of the property. By the way, J.T. Mitchell in our news department just pointed out that this event with uh, Michael Watson and Shawaski Young is really not a debate uh, per se. A joint town hall? Yeah, I think, I think that's right, something to that effect. So I apologize if I misrepresented that. It's a non-debate candidate forum. Ah, yeah. All right. So I apologize for that. And they will accept uh, questions from the press. So it's a little different than a, a moderated debate. So I apologize for misrepresenting that. I knew there was something to that effect. Um, so that's interesting. wonder if he'll take a check. <laughs> $422 million. No report that I can find of who the buyer is, right? What you laughing about? I'm, I'm, was Jeff Foxworthy had the joke about a check? <laughs> well, I can write a check. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the lawsuits were thrown out by judges. I, I personally believe, says Mose, okay, that's fine, but okay, folks, so then just think that everybody loves Donald Trump and that nobody voted for Joe Biden. I mean, that's literally what people are saying. That's my take on what this argument's about. He really didn't lose. He was wildly popular. The whole country wanted to put this guy back in. There's nobody in this country that dislikes Donald Trump. Like there's nobody that dislikes Joe Biden. As long, my view is, as long as we hang on to that from 2020, we're going to get our butts beat in 2024. And you know what will happen? We'll get beat. What will happen after that, Rhino? Oh, the election was stolen. And if Donald Trump wins, the Democrats will say, oh, the election was stolen. That's the mode we're in permanently here. Nobody wins outright. Oliver Diaz will be our guest next. That's after Fox News and Super Talk News. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays live from the Element Well Studio on this Friday, y'all. 
We welcome to the program now Oliver Diaz, opinion contributor, Super Talk Mississippi News, and former justice for the Mississippi Supreme Court. Judge, good to see you, man. Hey, Gerard, great to see you again, man. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed being here on a Friday afternoon. Yes, sir. So you uh, you wrote an article recently published uh, at Super Talk Mississippi, and it was entitled, A Letter to My Son as he leaves for college. And I, I read that with interest and, and thought of it in two ways. Um, one was when I went off to college, and then when my children went off to college, you know, thinking about just the, the differences uh, in those experiences. and, and But there's some things that are kind of timeless, I would say, uh, exactly. From, uh, from exactly. that from that relationship. And then there are things that are more appropriate for the time frame, I think, which is just a, kind of an ex, uh, emblematic of life in general as life progresses. Uh, but that human nature element is permanent. And I think you spoke to that to a great extent in the letter. What was your inspiration for this, Oliver? Well... You know, I, I, I thought about that. I'm trying to figure out what my inspiration was, and I think <laughs> that it was probably more about me than it was more than it was about my son. Yeah. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was telling my son what I, I needed to tell, and 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 my family's just like everybody else. You know, we don't have time to sit down and talk. I I, I find myself always wanting to make certain that I'd, I I see my son getting ready to go off for college, and I want to make certain that he knows you know, what to do and doesn't make the same mistakes that I made. I made some mistakes, you know, and I wish somebody were there to straighten me out and, and not let me get into those mistakes. So I wanted to do something sort of as a guide, um, not necessarily for him, but for me to make sure that I'd said the things that I needed to say over the years. But um, it's hard to find that time to sit down and talk. And I said, you know, I think I'm just going to try to sit down and put this in writing and see what comes out. Well, it was excellent, and and you you uh, you made a list, a series, if you will, numbered them uh, of things you wanted to say. Just it, it was just advice, sage advice, advice that you would expect. A list of ten that you would expect from a father to a son as they kind of branch out on their own. But you know, I've always thought, and I, and I know you and I kind of sh- share in that we were very involved with uh, with our sons. In their in their youth sports career, uh, in coaching and traveling, and you're right, as you pointed out uh, in your article, you spend an awful lot of time uh, with your son, or it could be a daughter, uh, in in those efforts. And and of course, uh, I think it's healthy. I think that's a, a good part of life when when you're raising kids. But is it not true though that what you hope is that uh, you've set the example proper, and you've had these kind of teaching moments through their life in your household so that when you finally do release them out on their own, that all that kind of resonates and it guides them uh, when they're away from you. That, that's exactly what we want. Um, you know, sports is a great example uh, for, for life. I mean, I learned so many of my lessons from 
from my sporting days when I was on a football team, learned how to be part of a team. I, I put in there one of the best pieces of advice. I was a, a, a pretty good water skier back in the day. I enjoyed water skiing. And my instructor told me, he said, you know, I got really frustrated. I would fall occasionally and, and not do something right. And he looked at me and said, you know, if you're not falling, you're not learning. You know, it's those mistakes that we make that build character and teach us things. So uh, we learn those things on the ball field. And as as we send our kids off to college, we want to make sure that they learn those lessons um, I, I put in there how, you know, it's really important when you get to college to be a good student. You want them to, to learn, good, get good grades and, and excel in school. But it's more than um, just being a good student. It's being a good person. You know, hope you, hopefully we've taught them the lessons that they need to learn in order to be not only a good student, but a very good person. And I tried to spell those things out. I talked about um, how being a gentleman is important. Um, and I said, you know, hold the door open for a date, you know, carry their books, hold the umbrella, things like that. And I said, you know, that sounds like it's from a different time. It's it's a long time ago when those were the norms. And I said, you know, actually, that is from a different era. But you know, those are the things that mark a person as not only a man. A man is somebody who is is aged enough to be over 21. You're a man. <laughs> but you want to be more than a man. You want to be a gentleman and have people recognize that when they see your children or, or you. And so I, those are the types of things we hope that our kids pick up as they as they leave the house for the first time. Yeah, I totally agree. And you and I may, may be considered kind of old-fashioned in that regard. But something that I, that I notice that always bothers me is when I see uh, folks at the kind of the college age, maybe even younger in some cases, and they're carrying on these conversations, and they're just laced with all this vile language and profanity. It's like, no, you shouldn't talk like that, especially in the locker room, okay, maybe. But out there in the public, or certainly around females, I still can't get accustomed to that, Oliver. I, I don't accept it. Well, you know, I never have either. And and I didn't even address that in this letter to my son. I, I hope that I set the example for that. I don't use that sort of language in everyday life. Even, you know, even when we get frustrated and upset, I that's just something I choose not to do. And I hope that over, you know, 18 years, my son has watched me over the years. And, and you know, you don't need that sort of language. Um, a, a teacher told me early on, I think it's probably in college, that uh, – People who use swear words—it's because they have a limited vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, we can express ourselves without (laughs) need to resort to those types of words. And so, I always saw it as a a sign of intelligence when you can express your feelings without having to use profanity. I I totally agree. Uh, Item three, by the way, in your list: being confident doesn't mean being copy, cocky. Be humble. Cocky. Yes. Something else you said that I completely. Uh, support, make an effort to get to know people of different races, religions, cultures. This country is great because of our diversity. We are stronger and better because of our differences. Embrace them, respect them, listen to them. We've gotten too tribal in our country, have we not? We we tend to only associate with people that look like us, think like us, share our values and views to the point where we don't even think any others exist. 
Yeah, uh, especially at college, you know, you have that opportunity. Um, it's so much more comfortable for us as people. I mean, I think it's just human nature. You want to associate with with people who are like you, who have the same ideas sure. and, and have the same experiences. I mean, it's just natural to want to do that. But it broadens our horizons so much when we step out of our box and we meet other people. And college is such a great experience for that. I mean, you've got people from coming from all over the world, and you have different religions, probably things you've never been exposed to in your little hometown. You, you can meet folks coming from you know across the world. To, to your college, and and they have different experiences and different um, religions and different practices and customs, and you can learn from those. You can experience those, and even if you don't pick those up, you're better for having been exper- having experienced those, and and just to know that there are other people out there. You also advise to not be afraid to fail, and you know if it feels like too much in our society. You see situations where where parents get so protective they just don't want their child to ever fail, and that's not real life, not real world. But you advise, don't be afraid of that, and and uh, you know challenge yourself, and just get back up, go after it again. Yeah, I think I quoted Vince Lombardi. He said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get, get back up. up. We're all going to get knocked down at some point. We're all going to fail at some point. But how we respond to that failure is really what defines us. And, and college is a good place to experience that because most students through their college tenure, you're going to have a series of, of ups and downs. That's almost inevitable. Oh, Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I struggled in college. I, 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 one of the pieces of advice I gave was to sit on the first row when you get into class. It's such a more personal experience. Yeah. You're, you're up close to the professor. You can interact better. You know, I, I put that in there because I did not do that when I was in college. I, I would sit in the back. I learned that <laughs> later in life when I would go to professional seminars that I learned that Wow, you know, I can learn so much more when I'm up close to the to the speaker yeah. and and interact with them. And so I, I wanted to pass that along, even though that's something I didn't do when I was in college. I, I hoped that somebody would have told me that before then. Well, it was a great piece. It's it's fantastic advice. I encourage everybody to read it at Super Talk Mississippi uh, on our website. Judge, good to see you, and uh, good work here, and, and good luck to your son in his in his college career. Thank you so much. Great being here. Hope you enjoy it. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. When credible claims of election fraud go unchecked, don't be surprised when nobody trusts the process. Oh, we're already there. That's the point I was trying to make before we went to the break at the top of the hour. The Democrats don't trust the process. The Republicans don't trust the process. Nobody trusts the process. Nobody Unless will, their candidate wins. Oh, yeah. Then it's perfectly legitimate. Right? So where was everybody in 2016? 
because Trump won. Well, the Democrats clamored for the next four years. Russian interference! Hashtag not my president. Yeah, all that stuff. Never went away. Never went away. Now, honestly, that's before I was doing the show here, but I tried to call folks' attention to this, and I still do and will. All right, 16, nobody said a word. Trump got elected. On the right, the left went nuts over this fabricated um, dossier, Russian interference crap, social media. It's all horse hockey, in my view. But one thing nobody ever really took any time to consider, Hillary Clinton still got more popular vote. Three-plus million. Still. Trump won because of the electoral vote process. And my point was, shouldn't we be worried that still more people in this country that voted voted for her? I get it. He won the electoral votes. I support the electoral college process. I still believe that is the best at determining who wins the presidency, that the founders knew what they were doing when they created that. But shouldn't we take some note of that? How in the world could more people in this country vote for her over him? And you just knew, uh uh-oh, this is tenuous at best. Tenuous at best. He barely won, and it only occurred because it was this handful of counties in a few states that put him over the top. Take note. Take note. And it means that most people in this country don't seem to support either him or those policies. That's what bothers me. And so you, we can sit here and go through all the alleged election fraud all day long, but the fact is we don't get the majority of the people in our camp. That they want more government. They want their government to do more. Whether it's forgiving student loans, taxing the wealthy and giving them more child tax credits, universal health care. I mean just it's give, give, give. That's what we ought to be paying attention to. That's where most people's heads are. Our college campuses, every time polls are done. Socialism like laps capitalism as the preferred economic system. That's what bothers me, that 93% of the dang instructors on our college campuses, which is where all this gets its start, it's ground zero, it's roots. They all identify as Democrats, all contribute to Democrats. That's what bugs me, is that we're losing the messaging game. Either it's the message or the messenger or combination. But, but man, when we, when we take this position that, oh, no, Trump really won, well, then that, just, that suggests to me, well, you don't think anybody <laughs> voted for Joe Biden? Like, how many didn't? Do, does everybody think like we do? Does everybody support, fawn all over, adulate, praise Donald Trump? Is there nobody 
that doesn't like that guy? And if so, how many? It's it's almost like you're going into think about other aspects of life where this applies. You're preparing for athletic competition. And you just completely dismiss your competitor. <laughs> don't don't pay any attention, any mind to them. The trap game. Yeah. And then they beat your butt. It's business. Oh, we got this deal. Man, if I had a dime for every time that I couldn't see how we could lose and we'd lose. It'd keep me up all night. I mean, it's like soul-searching. Like, how, how did this happen? But the one thing I never did was go back to the customer and say, you're an idiot for choosing them. Because if you do that in business, you go bankrupt. What do you got to do? Look in the dang mirror. What did I do wrong? What can I do better so this doesn't happen again? Now, some people may say that's a stretch of a comparison, an analogy. I don't think it is. In fact, I would think, I believe that that being Donald Trump's background is why he was effective as a president. I give him that. Getting stuff done, and it, it pushing through all the nonsense. And the biggest thing is all the people that are always telling you, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And folks who are successful in their outside life, outside of the government bubble where they're conditioned to think like that, they think that's horse hockey. I do. Like, what do you mean I can't do that? Of course I can. And when you think you can't do something, you know what the typical outcome is? You don't get it done. you got to believe. And I'm only making this point, and I know maybe that's getting off into the weeds a bit, but we, I think, would be better served on the right if we started trying to talk to people who don't agree with us and and trying to understand what's your objection. How can we get you in our camp? That's how we can win and win permanently and make good things happen. But when I when I come in and read this stuff from this goofy Robert Reich, I'm not going to change his mind. He's too old. Not worried about that. But he's changing the minds of the people we need in our tent. He is. I go out there and look at those comments from those people, many of whom are young. You've seen it with Bernie Sanders. He had a damn army of people. The burn bros. Yeah. They all believe all that crap. Just completely accept it. I've played it before, but... It was 2012, the Democrat National Convention, and Peter Schiff, face is not well known, a reporter, an investigative journalist for the most part, and he's got a camera and a mic, and he's running around talking to attendees, I mean people with the badges on. They're there because they're at the convention. What do you think about the idea of banning profits? Yeah, I'm all for that, ban profits. Huh? 2012, that's how they think. He just asked person after person, oh, I could totally support that, banning profits. That's how they think. That's how Joe Biden got elected. Because every day that he talks about economic policy, it's time to reward work, not wealth. we got to just start to make them pay their fair share. It's just constant. 
Those dirty, greedy corporations. It's Liz Warren and all her crap. And I'm not telling you they're perfect, that I agree with everything they do. I don't. But I sure as hell don't want Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren and that ilk running this nation's economy. You think you don't like the outcomes now? You can't imagine how bad they were. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Our people know that. People listen to this program. I'm simply saying that there are a lot of people in this country that don't think like we do. We are less than 3 million people. There are 330 million in the country. We're less than 1% of the population. And much of our population doesn't go outside of our borders. That's true in most states, honestly. Hell, I was shocked when I lived in L.A. in 1980. And I was up in Bakersfield is where my project was, and I'd ask those people about things in L.A. Oh, we don't know. We've we never been there. What do you mean you never been? There's 12 million people on the other side of the mountains. You've never been there? <laughs> it's true. We, we, um, and that's not that make them bad people. I, I just know that when you get around and you realize, wow, it's a big world. Everybody don't think like we do. Our... I would like to see us focus more on getting to the young generation that is going to guide the country, that is going to run the country, that is going to run the businesses and the institutions in this country. That's the problem, though. The understanding of personal responsibility tends to come more and more the older you get. agree with you. But right now, my fear is they're only getting one side of the ideological spectrum. They're not getting exposed to the ideas of conservatism and conservative policy. It's almost like we're more focused, the politicians are at least, on the people who are more likely to vote, and that's the older people. But we got to wait for them to get to that point, as you say. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on Middays. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Two, three, four. in the Element Well studio. So according to this person here on the ceasefire text line, I don't know why we have him in the in the uh, address book there as clown. You know anything about that? That's long before I got here. Said uh, the popular vote, cities in the United States, that's where most of the people are, and by extension all the government programs, all the handouts, all the welfare, mostly in the cities. Big cities are the book of the popular vote. You're losing your audience by the second. Are we losing our audience by the second, Rhino? No. I'm told it's up a lot. So that's just because this person is exemplifying exactly what I'm saying. They only want to they only want to interact with people that think just like they do. You're an idiot because you don't agree with me. So right, so you understand that the popular vote translates into the electoral vote. That 
it's only by the grace of God that our founders created this electoral vote system that we even have a smidgen of a chance to win the White House as a Republican, even in spite of not winning the popular vote. And if we accept the concept, the principle, that everybody should be treated equally under our laws, that we're all citizens afforded the exact same rights, privileges, and protections, then it doesn't really matter where they live. That's irrelevant. Still one country. Still all citizens. So, I uh, I stand pat on my concern that we cannot seem to win the popular vote. And I still ask, why didn't any Republicans say anything about that in 16? Nobody paid attention to that. And we still struggle. And let's be honest, we're this far from losing the electoral vote as a way of electing our president. I mean, you, I mean, it's incredibly close. A vote or two in the Senate, over. And admitting a state or two at the same time. That's the goal. And federalizing elections. That's how dang close we are. What a risk. And we didn't do as well as we thought we would in the midterms. We got a very narrow margin in the House. And that's the only savior for the rest of Joe Biden's agenda, honestly, for the back half of his term. Your audience isn't going anywhere. We love y'all and enjoy listening. I appreciate that. That's from the ceasefire text line, President-elect. And and I don't mind sharing that with the audience when people say stuff. Rhino and I, in the two and a half years I've been doing this, we've seen a couple of people say, I'm never listening again, and then they'll text. Have we not? They're usually back within a month. <laughs> I'm not sure they ever stopped. Uh, and that's that's fine. Um, it's an opinion show, guys. That's what it is. I'm expressing my opinion. If we don't agree, I'm not going to call you an idiot. I, I assure you of that. I welcome your opinion. I may I may volley with you on it, but... I don't know. If you say something idiotic, I might call you an idiot. <laughs> You've been known to do that. Larry and Mai says, what's your solution? Nominate someone in the middle who won't stand up for the people on the right? No, Larry, it's not at all. I'm just making the point that to win the presidency, you got to pull in the squishy 20% or so in these handful of counties that can go either way. I've seen interviews. I know you have, too, of people who say, well, I voted for Trump last time, but I voted for him this time. Have you not seen that? Just flip parties in one cycle. That's who determines who wins the presidency. It's not this state, which we know before we ever cast the first ballot. Our six electoral votes, 270 required to win, they're going to the Republican. It's just hard to fathom that in 2024, the Republican won't carry this state. About as hard as it is to imagine that the Democrat won't carry California, New York, and Illinois, and Connecticut, New Jersey. I mean, go down the list there. And if you ever look at the map, to this person's point about the population centers, look at the county map of Illinois and see uh, how 
it fared in the presidential election. And the whole dang state is red, except for one county, and that's Cook County, where Chicago is, which has more population than all the other counties put together. I don't I can't explain why they're all Democrat strongholds. I, I, I hear what this person say. I can't explain that. All I know is they make a lot of people up. And they vote, and they have the right to vote. Why are we? Why are we not getting to their hearts and minds? That's what we got, I think, to hold up as our challenge and to work on that. So, no, I, I'm not for someone who won't stand up uh, for our principles, Larry, whatsoever. I'm just explaining that. How do we get whomever that is to appeal? to the people we need, like Donald Trump did in 2016, clearly. To I don't know if my suggestion would necessarily be a solution, but I do believe it would help former President Trump in his attempt to win election in 2024, and that would be for him to come out and say that I respect the Constitution, that the 22nd Amendment says you can only win election to the office of president twice. So I'm conceding the 2020 election so that I can run in the 2024 election. Wow. That, uh, Ronald, that's actually a, an excellent point. And that, honestly, may put him in the White House in 24. Because, again, it's those independents that you got to have. It's not us in Mississippi. He got us. It's not Louisiana, Alabama, Oklahoma, probably not Texas, probably not Florida, the two big red states that kind of counter uh, California and New York. And the people that have been screaming that it was stolen are still going to vote for him. That's so exactly. he's not going to lose that base, That's and he might point. pick up some of the moderates. That's the point. Uh, you're exactly right. It's So both candidates, and I still believe to this day the reason that Donald Trump prevailed in 16 is because Either him or the people advising him, and he was surrounded by some really smart people from running campaigns perspective, that um, when he visited on that weekend leading up to the election, Pennsylvania and Michigan, I'm telling you that won it for him. I really do believe that. And Hillary was tired. She'd already parked the bus. She was home, yeah. I, I promise I believe that that's what won it for him. And I respect that. It's like... Man, how does this guy do it at this age? His energy ne- never showed that he that he was maybe a bit weary, you know, a bit tired. Never showed it. Fed off the energy of the crowd, still in his blue suit and red tie that he's known for, stood in front of these huge rallies in those states. And they knew, you got to win those states to win. And he did. And when they called Pennsylvania, I'll never forget it. The folks over at MSNBC and CNN Live, you remember that, that night. I mean, good grief, it was like they just found out that their mother died or something. I mean, it was a pall that just draped over the studio there. So glib. Incredible. Because nobody expected that. But you just felt like, man, these rallies he's having. And, and not only were they well attended, but they're on national television. Everybody's seeing it, feeding off that. And there's just something about that. And you you got to give the guy credit for that. He's, he's awesome at that. Maybe the best ever. And he stood for two and three hours in front of these crowds in these swing states. And he won them. 
I still believe that's the difference. I really do. I want to say, like, Romney went to Colorado or something. Remember that? Like, what the hell did he go to Colorado for? I think his last deal. And I think he ended up losing Colorado, which has, what, eight electoral votes or something like that? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not pivotal in the outcome of the election. So Trump and his team got that. Now, it also helps to have a 767 to run around on. But let's be honest, even other candidates would have access to private air transportation. Oh, yeah. That's not a big deal. Um, but, and of course, remember, anytime he was uh, going, traveling to one of these deals, he'd always circle the plane a little bit, get permission to do that so everybody could see. And by the way, you don't just get to do that at that altitude. I know that for being a pilot. You've got to get permission from air traffic control to make some, uh, um, some, some loops. Yeah, some loops like that. So yeah, that's what it takes. And that, that I think, influenced those swing, so-called swing voters, independent voters in those states, and that put him over the top. I really do believe that. We're coming right back with the final segment here on Middays. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. So, uh, real quick on the ceasefire text line, get to many as we can. Wait, wouldn't it take a constitutional amendment to do away with the Electoral College, says Mose? Yes, so let me explain what I was saying there, Mose, is that it does not require a constitutional amendment to admit a state. And so, it, admitting another state means we will never win the Electoral College again. That's my opinion. For example, Be- making D.C. a state. Correct. Right. And it means we'll never have the Senate. More importantly, we never win the Senate. So you can win the White House all day long. No Senate, no House, limited. Unless you believe in this deep state approach to governing, which I don't. I think most conservatives don't. So that's my concern. And the other thing to the person who keeps pounding me about the, yeah, but the people live in the big cities and stuff. So here's what's missing in that. Why do you think the Senate is in the Democrats' hands? Because it does, that doesn't apply in the case of electing senators, which is the challenge. Because we can move the House, and the House generally will just vacillate back and forth. Although, by historical standards, we should have won it by a much greater margin than we did in 22. Which means, once again, we're not getting our message. It's not working. It's, it's tepid at best. So, the reason I said we ought to take note of the fact that we don't win... The popular vote is because that translates to the Senate. Besides 
the presidential election. That's what controls or, or determines the outcome of the Senate. Because that is done on a popular vote. The other thing that I don't think is being considered is that states are, some states already have, others are considering it, assigning all of their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote. And if that should happen in Pennsylvania, it's over. It's over. We'll never win again. Or Michigan. That's why I'm concerned about the popular vote. I don't know why people don't get this. I mean, this is pretty simple math here. Senate, assigning all of the electoral votes, adding a state, all that is a function of what's most popular. The left is the land of children. Can't beat Santa, Santa Claus, Rich and Biloxi. I'm concerned about that as well. And that was the point I was making is that it's hard to sell, honestly, freedom to people who just want their student loans forgiven. That's the most important thing in their life. Bring President Reagan back, says DJ and Summit. Gerard and Rhino for president and vice president. Y'all have my vote. Zach from Phillip, Mississippi, a.k.a. God's country. Appreciate that. Jason and Starkville says, I actually started listening on your first day. Not sure how it ended up like that, but I listen every day to you and Gallo, even when I'm out of town. Always good material. Appreciate that, Jason. Gary in the Berg says, conservatives need to do much more to reach those before they form an opinion. I agree, Gary. Red states allowing liberals to dominate colleges and universities is catastrophic for the future. I, I, I agree. I share your concerns, and that's the point I'm making, Gary, is that ground zero, where all this gets its start, gets set into motion, is in the college classrooms. And I didn't get it today, but I had a couple of stories from across the colleges of the nation. You know, I try to share some of those, pass some of those on. Crazy stuff, man, happening. It's just unbelievable. We'll get to it Monday. Thomas and Greenwood says, we need some welfare Cadillac bump music to explain why people vote Democrat. Uh, let's see. As Demo- if Democrats cheat in Georgia, explain Kemp winning. I've, I've also pointed that out as well, and it is a good one, I believe. Thomas, people live in echo chambers and agree on both sides. The funniest thing to me was when Wolf Blitzer stomped his foot in a tantrum when he called Michigan for Trump, says Jeremy in Columbia. I, I agree. It, it was bizarre to watch that. Trump's rallies, says uh, someone says here, can only watch his rallies on Newsmax. I, I suspect when we get closer to the election, if he's the nominee and he starts having these uh, rallies like he did, which I fully expect, which would be after the August uh, convention where the nominee is determined between then and November, no doubt he'll be traveling the country if it's him. And I think we'll see these huge rallies again. You'll see those. Yeah, the, on more the major news, news organizations rallies. crave ratings, and they know no doubt those rallies equal ratings. E- even the CNN and MSNBC, because they'll just dissect the hell out of it afterwards, you know, and they're. Political analysis. They'll have the panel, the brilliant panel. 17 people behind a desk (laughs) giving you stupid opinions. (laughs) We are a divided states of America. I see no reconciliation, says Thomas Tupelo. I I hear you, Thomas, and I know that sometimes it does sound insurmountable, but I'm going to say again, our best days are ahead. I truly believe that. I'm going to always believe that. I believe 
that optimism begets the best outcomes. And I'm optimistic. I, I am. I'm pointing out the challenges, things we need to address, things we need to work on. We'll always have that. We're in search of a more perfect union, and we're flawed humans. That's what God said. But I'm optimistic, man. I really am. Folks, we appreciate you so much for joining us today. We're back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.